Well, our second scripture reading is going to come to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1,642, 1642. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood, they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem, and do you not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they, are, they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he, di he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. Thus ends our reading of God's inerrant word. May all who hear it be able to recognize who Jesus truly is. Well, my message this morning is going to be very short once again, as I want to give the majority of our time to our guest, Ed, uh, Ed Johnson. Uh, but thinking about this passage and how it relates to missions, I can't help but to think that the, the missionary's goal is like that of Jesus in this passage. Christ was revealing himself to his disciples, these two men on the road, through the use of Scripture. 
Now, he, he, he could have chosen another way to go about it. He could have just not hid himself from them and just revealed himself from them, but he didn't. He chose to use Scripture. Likewise, a missionary's job is to reveal to others who Jesus is through the use of God's Word. This is what Ed and Valerie and their, their whole family are, are doing in Papua. They are bringing the Word of God to a people in order that they might have fellowship with Christ. And this should be our mission as well. We are to bring the Word of God to the lost here in Allegan. With that being said, it's my privilege to welcome Ed Johnson forward as he comes to share with us a report of his work. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Valerie and I are always uh, grateful to uh, return to First Congregational here in Allegan. We uh, have visited with you many times, and we're always thankful for the opportunity to be here. Um, I see some faces I recognize, and perhaps uh, some of you, most of you recognize mine, and yet I'm sure there's also others this morning who are, are seeing my face for the first time. And so before I begin, I want to give a, a brief introduction, uh, let me say rather uh, a testimony, uh, just a little bit about my life, because it, it, it impacts who I am today, for sure. Um, I grew up in Upper Michigan, the small town of Scandia. Uh, I realize there's probably people here who don't know where Scandia is. So let me, let me uh, help you, uh, something you probably set your bearings by. It's about 151 miles directly north of Lambeau Field. <laughs> I, I do want to be sensitive and careful. I recognize that in the past you have had a pastor who would work into his messages, references to his favorite sports team. And I'm just not sure this is the place for it. Although, when I, when I looked over at Miss McGillicuddy this morning, I did wonder if this, uh, this person who loves the green and gold uh, had, a little, had a little impact on the decorations. Um, I, again, I am not one to do that. I don't think you ought to tell your favorite team, even if they are, 13-time national champions. <clears throat> but I grew up in that small town with uh, two mainline denominational churches, and I attended one of them most of my uh, young life. Uh, when uh, the young people were lighting the candles this morning, I was reminded that I spent some time lighting candles uh, in the front of this, uh, in the front of that church. And yet, if you'd asked me as a, as a middle schooler, you know, what I understood of God, it was, it was important in my life. I was at church every Sunday. I went to Sunday school. What I understood of, of, of God and his plan for me, it was that I, that I do good. I, I, I work hard and I, and I do good things and I, I attend church. And, I, uh, and, and when, I, when I got to heaven, God would, would kind of measure out my life and put my good things on one side and my bad things on the other. And and maybe, maybe my good things would outweigh the bad, and if so, then maybe he would let me into heaven. And certainly I couldn't know that until, until that day, and to think I would know that would be conceded, and one more sin on the bad side. Um, I say that was my understanding at that point as a middle schooler, but as a middle schooler, I also began to become a little more aware of myself. Uh, we had been well-behaved kids on the outside, but by the time I got to middle school, I began to realize that who I was really on the inside was a person who was characterized by fear and perversion and a whole lot of mess inside of me. I didn't let it out a lot. 
but it was who I was. I was a mess. Thankfully, it was at about that same time that this odd group came into town, um, and they had some activities for youth. And I say they were odd. Uh, some of their vehicles even. One drove a Toyota, and one drove a Volkswagen. And in my little town, that was enough to uh, <laughs> that was enough to put you on put you on the skeptical list on the on the edge over here. Um, but they had a youth group on on uh, and and where where I attended. Uh, we did a, they had some activity and, and, uh, and then there would be some treats and, and they would share a little bit uh, from the Bible, some stories. Um, and uh, so we would go and play soccer or we would go sledding or we would, we would uh, yeah, do, uh, make a hike or go sledding or we would, uh, yeah, other things. We did an awful lot of sledding in the UP. Yeah. Um, but it was there that I began to hear about this Jesus who, uh, who wanted a personal relationship with me wasn't just the one who, who died on the cross. Thankfully, that, that what I learned as a young man was true. But it, I never understood, at least. I'm not sure it was taught to me, but at the very least, I didn't understand as a young man that Jesus wanted a personal relationship with me and that I could know for certain that I had eternal life if I, if I put my trust in him. Those are the things I heard at this youth group. Um, and thankfully, the Lord worked... Uh, in me, bring me to the point eventually that I began to understand that it's true. And mostly what, what did it was not so much even all that they said, but it was how they responded to me when I was at my worst. When I was being a jerk, when I was trying to make it difficult to run their youth group, um, they showed me love in ways that I couldn't understand. And that's what helped me to see that this Jesus they talk about on Saturday night was more than just something that they talked about. That it was something that affected the way they lived, and even affected the way they related to me when I'm at my worst. And so it was through that that the Lord drew me to himself and helped me to, to come to a place of trusting in him. And he immediately began to change my life. Uh, I, I certainly wish I'd allowed him to change me more quickly than, than I did. Uh, he still has work to do in me, and I want him to do it. And, uh, but he immediately began, began to change who I was. And, and I mention all that because it continues to be the motivation for what I do today. I want people to hear about this same Jesus, not just some religion, not just, uh, not, not just something that people can, can think about or believe in, but, but to hear about a Jesus who wants them to have life. That's why uh, we go to Indonesia. It's to share, to share that truth. Uh, Valerie shared with you, we worked with a small tribe, the Duwe, there in, in Indonesia, and she showed it greatly on the globe where it is. If you didn't quite follow her map uh, this morning as she was showing the kids, let me give you a little better understanding. I looked it up and it's roughly 8,390 miles west-southwest of Lambeau Field. <laughs> uh, we thank you for partnering with us through the years. You have been a part of our ministry. And so uh, we enjoy being with you, but we also want to share with you uh, some of the things that are going on uh, in, in our ministry and to report that God is at work in, in Papua. And uh, he's allowed us to be a part of that. He's given us a front row seat to some of the things he's doing there. Um, but we are very aware that we could not be there without people partnering with us. And so we thank you uh, for that partnership with us through the years. Uh, one of the steps as, as God took me... Uh, through my teenage years and beyond. At some point, before I got to the mission field, I, I, I worked at a radio station. 
And uh, there was a lot of good programming on there, but one of my favorites was uh, Adventures in Odyssey. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with, with the program. And some of the best programs of Adventures in Odyssey are going into the Imagination Station. And, uh, we're, we're, and, and often, uh, you go into that Imagination Station, there's a whole, a lot of the programs actually go into a Bible story. They kind of set you in a Bible story where these kids, actually they set the kids, right? But you vicariously uh, go with them uh, into the midst of, of a story from the Bible. And although I, I recognize you need to be careful how much license you take with retelling that story and putting little kids in the middle of, of David and Goliath and uh, those such things, it does definitely help you to see it in a new way. Valerie and I recently had an experience, something like that. Uh, let me uh, explain briefly, uh, just a little bit of background. We landed in the States on June 17th. In, in, in Florida, we have um, two sons who live there. You may or may not be aware, we have four adult children, uh, three of whom were born in Indonesia, uh, but they are now adults in the States, two of whom, Isaiah and Josiah, who have been here on this, uh, on this stage here with us, um, they are now sheriff deputies in Fort Myers, Florida. So I know some of you travel through Florida. If you happen to speed through Fort Myers, you may get to meet Isaiah and Josiah. Um, well, from there, we went up into uh, Georgia, where our oldest daughter lives, uh, who's now preparing to go to India as a missionary. Um, we spent a few days with them, and then we went up, worked our way up through, uh, uh, through the states as we head for my family in, in Michigan, Valerie's families in Minnesota. Uh, but as we went through Kentucky, we had the chance to stop at a place called the Creation Museum. And uh, one of the features of this museum, there's a lot to it. We had three hours where you could have easily spent three days and more uh, seeing everything there was. But one of the features was this, what is called a 4D special effects theater. And uh, the six days of creation. And you, you, uh, you, you took the this, this steps. You, you went and you sat there and... and, and uh, it just began to show in front, and, and uh, the, someone just basically read uh, the scriptures, but with a very low, booming voice, as God created. And, and the chairs shook, and at times, was, as the waves of, of, of chaos in the beginning, as God's creating, uh, there was puffs of air in your face, and, and it really did kind of transport you to what it would have perhaps been like. Obviously, it wasn't the video of God creating the earth, but it did kind of transport you to that place and kind of feel a little in a little different way than you would otherwise what this was like and to see the incredible, incredible awesomeness of God's creation. I, one of the things that I've always liked about the creation story is, is the hint in, in, in uh, Genesis 126 where, where God says, let us... Let us make man in our own image. And for someone reading that story from the beginning, you know God's doing this, he's creating, and he this, and he spoke, and he, but then it says, let us. And we don't, it's like, what, us, who's us? And you begin to see the first indication that there's a triune God, the first indication of, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not well defined there, but it continues to be defined through the Old Testament until we eventually have the re revelation of Christ. Um, if you were to pick a, a, a Bible story that you could go to the imagination station and be in one of those stories, what, what would it be? Would it, would it be creation? Would it be, uh, would it be Adam and Eve? And I've often wondered if I was there, you know, I would have liked to have been there and say, Eve, don't eat that fruit. Okay, but I also, of course, recognize that if I'd have been there, I would have 
certainly falling along with her because I know that because the, the same lines, the same tricks that Satan used on Eve are the ones that he uses on me and the same ones that he uses in your life. You know, the first he, he said, did, did, did God really say that? Did he, is that, did he really say that? And, and uh, he, so those are the same ones he uses in my life. Did God, did God really say that? And, and even in our, he used not only in my own life, but in our, in our churches and in our cultures, as we begin to wonder, did God really say there is one God and one mediator between man and God? It's the man Christ Jesus. That there is no other, no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You know, in this, in this time of, of, uh, of inclusiveness, and uh, this, that's not a popular message. And some of our churches, unfortunately, try to, try, to, try to play that down and find believe that if someone, well, if they really sincerely believe whatever it is that they believe, then, then maybe they'll get to heaven too, when the Bible so clearly says that that's not the case. But that didn't work on Eve initially or right up front. And so he, so he pulled his next one and, and he said, well, yeah, God said that, but you will not surely die. So then here he says, not only, not only to question whether God said that, but he said, well, basically he's saying God, God was wrong. And, uh, and we, he can use that on us too. Well, yeah, that's what the Bible says, but really what it meant was, was this. Uh, we recently had someone who was on his way. He was being, uh, he wanted to come and join us uh, in missions in Papua. And before we came, he said, well, I need to say before I come that I'm not convinced that the Old Testament is really God's word. <laughs> and we said, well, then, you know, we'd still like to pray for you. We'd still like to be in touch with you, but um, you, won't, you won't be coming to minister with us. And thankfully, his home church said the same thing. Our mission headquarters uh, said the same thing because... Because the Word of God, the Old Testament particularly, is crucial. And we'll see a little, little later this morning why, why I would say that. Um, but then the, the, the last one, which he also gets me with, is what he told you, that God just wants to keep those good things from you. You know, He knows that if you eat that fruit, then you will become like Him. And so He is selfishly holding that back, so you don't have the good things. And, and He convinces us of those same things, doesn't He? You know, that, 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 oh, well, yeah, it's okay to have just a little bit. And that, that rule or those verses, it's just God kind of putting a hard line. And he's just trying to keep you from having the things that would bring joy into your life, bring fun. And uh, we, we can easily be, begin to think that, uh, yeah, God's just trying to, God's just kind of being a, a hard line. Or he's just being a, 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 a killjoy. In my life, and and it's okay if I do this. It'll 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 be a little fun for the time, and, and perhaps it will. Um, but he also convinces us that uh, that there won't be it won't, it won't be so bad. There won't be such a uh, repercussion. There won't be such a uh, it won't it won't cause such problems. And and yet, as we begin to believe and step in those directions, uh, quickly find our life becomes a mess, as, as Adam and Eve did, with their relationship broken between one another and between themselves and God, and even between themselves and creation, uh, because, of, because of their disobedience. Which, which story would you choose? I think if it was me, I would have chose the story that was read this morning from Luke, uh, chapter 24. Um, here it is, Jesus uh, is talking with two of his disciples. They aren't aware of that at the time, that, 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 that's, that's Jesus himself. Uh, this is after Jesus had died on the cross to pay the penalty. He had, he had risen from the dead, although they weren't so certain about that. 
But he comes to them in Luke uh, 24, verse 13, and, uh, and we know it as the road to Emmaus. It, it's, it's amazing to me that God, that Jesus comes, and as I read this, sometimes I just want to, I just want to chuckle as they say, "Are you the only one here who doesn't know what's been going on?" And they're talking, of course, to the, to the Christ Himself, who was just, just crucified. And, uh, and so He says, don't, "Don't you know about those things?" And He says, "Well, what things?" And so they, they kind of lay out a good part of it, uh, the important things that are important to our faith. That this, this one who came and he led and he taught and, and then he died. And then, but then kind of like, uh, but we were hoping it was, it was him who was going to redeem Israel. Oh. And they, they're very disappointed, very struggling with, with what's going on. And so finally Jesus says to them, O foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And this is the part that, it, this, this, is, this is where I wanted to be, the next verse. And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself. In all the scriptures. So when, when Jesus explained to them about himself from all the scriptures, what scriptures did he hit? Well, let me tell you, he didn't speak from Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or John. He didn't quote from the book of Acts, or Romans, or Revelation. Those books weren't written. And so as Jesus is appealing to the scriptures to teach them about himself, he's going to, one reference, he calls it here, the, the, the scriptures, uh, the Moses and the prophets. He's going to the Old Testament. And so I would love to have been there and heard his sermon, as it were. What, what passages would he have hit? I believe he probably started at creation and looked at, at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and, and spoke of, of the, the powerful creation of God. I don't think it's a, a coincidence that the book of John, which, which John says, I wrote these things, that you would believe that he is the Christ. But he begins... In the structure of John chapter 1, with a, with a story that looks an awful lot like Genesis chapter 1, doesn't it? And that all things were created through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And he clarifies there that the spoken word of God at creation was Christ himself. And that's why when God said, let us create man in our own image, it indeed is the eternal God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are, who are saying that among themselves. Let's bring man into existence. Let's make him like us. I, um, I, I, I wonder. I, I think perhaps he, he referenced the, the, the fall, story of Adam and Eve, when they indeed sinned. But with, as, as God begins to deal and, and, and uh, put things in their life that will help them to stay on track, he actually speaks. You notice he asks, to one side note, he asks a question of Adam and gives Adam a chance to respond. He asks a question of Eve and gives Eve a chance to respond. He doesn't ever ask the snake, the Satan, because he knows that, of course, he's irredeemable. But he does speak to him and says, one day the seed of the woman will crush your head. You'll bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. And there is the first, you know, perhaps prophecy Again, of, 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 of something coming, of this seed of a woman that would accomplish 
great things and would, would wound Satan. I, I, as you work, work through the Old Testament, you, you come to uh, the Abrahamic, God, God quickly links, by the time you get to chapter 12 in Genesis, it's, you come to the story of Abraham. And uh, until then, God's kind of the, the the word has kind of been telling the big story, and then He kind of narrows it down on, on Abraham. And there's a promise there that we're all familiar with, or a, a passage, an idea at least, and we see it in Genesis uh, chapter 12, uh, verses two and three. Pardon me as I flip these pages here. Okay. And now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house, the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. There's a promise given to Abraham that God is going to do great things for Abraham. He's going to provide for Abraham. He's going to bless him in ways unimaginable. And also that through him will all the nations of the earth be blessed. As we read the story of Abraham's children and, and his, uh, his, his family throughout the Old Testament, uh, they, were, they were pretty excited about, about God blessing them and taking care of them. They were a little less excited about being a blessing to the rest of the earth. And then there we have, therefore we have stories like the book of Jonah, where God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, and he frankly wasn't interested. Those are people of a different religion. They're politically different than I am. They are, they, they, they're, they're, they're the enemy. And he wasn't interested. And it wasn't because he didn't know who God was. He voices at one point, I knew you would do this. When God, when they hear the, the truth from, from Jonah's lips and they repent in sackcloth and ashes, and, uh, and Jonah goes and sets up uh, on the hillside. Probably he's got his nachos and cheese alongside of him. As he begins, he's just excited to watch God destroy Nineveh. And when God doesn't, he's upset. I knew you would forgive them, he says. If I may say so, Jonah's attitude was, you know, God bless me, but to hell with the rest. And sometimes, although we aren't quite that open as Jonah was, uh, we're a lot more excited about God bless me, thank you that you take care of me. And you know what? We should be excited about those things. But as part of that, God is at work in us to show himself strong to others as well. And he wants us to be an active part, an intentional part of being a blessing to the ends of the earth. Uh, that promise wasn't just made to Abraham. Uh, as we think of the patriarchs, Paul refers to the promises given to the patriarchs. Who are the patriarchs? Abraham, Isaac. He makes this promise, the same promise to Isaac in Genesis 26. He makes the same promise to Jacob in Genesis 28. A little different words, but the same basic promise. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will make your family great. I will give you lands. And through you will all the peoples of the earth be blessed. I think Christ has, as he showed himself through there, he wanted to show his disciples that from the very beginning he was there, he was active, and he was concerned about the glory of God and concerned that other people heard of his glory. As you read of Moses uh, coming out of Egypt, um, 
God makes it very clear. He says that, that even the very, as they go through the water, God tells them that I'm going to, uh, well, let me, let me read it for you in Exodus 14. Exodus first, we see it in 7, verse 5. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. Okay, so God, yes, he was working on the behalf of these Israelites who had been slaves for 400 years, and yet he also openly says even beforehand, I'm going to do this, so show myself, so the Egyptians will know who I am. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 4, we see it again. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all of his army and the Egyptians, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. In verse 18 of that same chapter, he says, Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through the chariots and his horsemen. How was he honored? He was honored as God protected his people, blessed them, took care of them, and yet through it, all of Egypt came to know who it was. You know what? It wasn't just all of Egypt who came to know. We learn later, as the people, some 40 years later, after stumbling through disobedience through the wilderness, as they begin to enter, uh, they go uh, and, and visit a, a harlot in, in, in Canaan named Rahab, and she, uh, let's look at uh, Joshua chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, I'll, I'll read some, some verses there, Joshua chapter 2, uh, verses 8 to 11, before they lay down, they, uh, she came up to them, so the, the, the spies are now hiding on the roof as, this, as the Canaanite army is coming and looking for these two spies. And uh, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, to Shehon and to Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And when we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God of heaven and on earth beneath. So this harlot who lived in the land of Canaan had heard of, of what God did for them, bringing them out of, of Egypt. So it wasn't just the, the, the Israelites themselves, it wasn't just the Egyptians, it wasn't even uh, just the neighbors, uh, the Canaanites heard. But um, if you look uh, at chapter 4, verses 22 again, uh, saying, talking about the same theme there. And he said to the sons of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? I'm sorry, after they came out of the water, they, 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 built, some, they built some stones. They built a remembrance place. And, and, and he's, this is, uh, as, he, as he speaks to them, he says, Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. 
Still, Joshua goes back and references that, that, that crossing of the Red Sea. And he encourages him to tell the people. I wonder, uh, as parents, I'm challenged to, I want to I be telling my children these same stories. I also want to be telling them the stories of what God had done in my life to bring, bring me to himself. I think if you went through the Old Testament, whether it be, I could, I could, it could help you find verses in the stories of David and Goliath or, or whatever your favorite Bible story is uh, from Sunday school days. Almost every case, if you, look, if you read the whole passage, you'll find a place where, uh, whether it be uh, Daniel in the lion's den or, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, almost every one of those takes, places, takes place in a cross-cultural situation. And often God openly states, I do this so that they will know. Yes, I do this to take care of you, but I do it so they will know that I am the one true God. That's been Christ's, God's passion for his glory from the beginning. And I think as he talked with the people, uh, talked with the two on the road to Emmaus, he referenced a lot of those same passages. We see it in, uh, we see on Solomon's dedication prayer. We see it in Hezekiah's prayer in 2 Kings, um, Psalm 67. God be gracious to us and bless us, cause his face to shine upon us. There you go, that's, that's top line, Abrahamic covenant. God, take care of us, please. That thy way may be known on the earth, thy salvation among all the nations. Let the peoples praise thee, O God, let all the peoples praise thee. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For thou wilt judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise thee. The earth has yielded produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that the, all the ends of the earth may fear him. There again. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. We see, I, I think, I, we looked at some verses from the books of Moses and some, from some of history and, and, the, and the poetry, but we also are familiar with some passages, of course, from the prophets that reference Christ. And I think perhaps he, he appealed to, whether, whether it be, you know, the, the, the passages that are read at Christmas time from Isaiah chapter 7, um, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, or, or Isaiah, 50, Isaiah 53, talking about the suffering servant. Or, or perhaps even Micah chapter 2, which is referenced. And apparently the uh, Herod's wise men went and looked up to find that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Uh, throughout the prophets, there's references to something coming. Something more is coming. And they didn't understand all that it was, but they knew that, some, that, that they indicated more and more that, that, that there is a Savior coming. And those are the, 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 the scriptures that... that, that Again, I don't know which ones he spoke that day, but I think probably he had some of those ones. Um, now, I recognize those of you sitting here may say, well, you look, you're a missionary, and it's your job, and therefore you look at all the Old Testament, and you find the missionary stories, and you see everything through missionary eyes, and guilty as charged. Um, that, that's true of, that is true of me. But I really don't believe I am stretching anything uh, when, I, when, I, when I make these uh, statements or comparisons or help you to see those. Um, if you look at what Paul said in Romans chapter 15, he appealed over and over again to the Old Testament scriptures and how they showed that God wanted people to hear the gospel. And that was his motivation. That's what drove him to go and reach the Gentiles, people who had never heard. Um, 
He even appeals to those very verses given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You read his defense in Galatians chapter 3. You'll see his, where he speaks of the, the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you should all the nations of the earth be blessed. So if, if, you're, if you're blaming the missionary, perhaps you want to blame the other missionary, Paul, as he uh, made the same appeal looking at the Old Testament passages. But let me look back at the, our main passage in Luke chapter 24 as we work to the end here. So he, he did this. He, uh, he, he spoke to these on the road to Emmaus. Those guys got so excited, even though it was now night in Emmaus, they immediately packed up and headed back, uh, back to Jerusalem, back to the, the, the group of, of uh, discouraged believers gathered. And they said, hey, we, we met him. We, 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 we met him on the road and he talked to us. And, and, and goes, continues in that passage. And uh, it says in verse 36, And while they were telling these things, so while, while these two guys are, are there telling them what, they, what their experience has been on the road, while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. They were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet? It is I myself. Touch me and see. For the Spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it for joy, they were marveling. And he said to them, Have you anything, to hear, anything here to eat? And so they gave him something to eat, and he ate it. And again, I think he's just saying, he's trying to say, This is me, guys. I really, this is me. This is me back from the dead. I am here. I'm alive. They gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. And now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all these things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds and understood the Scriptures. Excuse me, he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, This it is written. So now it's just like, Sermon round two, he goes back and, and again opens up the scriptures to them to help them understand what, what they, they knew. And thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in, the name, in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. It seems to me that right there Christ kind of summarizes everything and he makes three points guys this is it this is this is what i've been trying to tell you all along three very important things one that the christ must suffer pay the penalty for our sins two that he will rise again on the third day and thirdly that repentance and forgiveness in his name must be preached to the ends of the earth that's it that's the summary of the whole thing I, I do tend to see the scriptures through a, a lens of, of those who have yet to hear. I do believe that God is involved in calling people to leave what they know and to go to the ends of the earth or to places that still need to hear. And some of those places are far away, like the jungles of Irian Jaya or in Africa or in Hungary. And some of those places are very near. 
as I was, even as God was impressing upon me the very first thoughts that maybe I should be involved in missions, I was working in a lumber mill in Upper Michigan, and one of the one of the, my workers, who co-workers who worked with me, came in and he saw my Bible beside me and he said, "What is that book?" And I said, "It's the Bible." He said, "That that's that's got two parts, right?" I said, yeah, yeah, it's got two parts: the Old Testament and the New Testament. He said, "What's what's the difference?" Well, I'd like to tell you that, you know, that day I, I immediately presented the gospel and before long he was on his knees and, and confessing Christ. That's not what happened. I was not prepared for that moment. But it did wake me up to the fact that right here in my world, there are people who have no clue what the Bible says. And that was 30 years ago. I think today, much more so. The people around us often have no real clue. Oh, they'll pick up bits from social media as to what Jesus would really do in this situation. Um, but I think most have no clue what the Bible really says about the Christ. My challenge to you is that you would find a part that God has for you to be involved, whether it be near or far. Uh, this church supports several missionaries, including the Dickersons, the Frasers, uh, I saw in the, in the bulletin this morning, uh, and, and I encourage you to connect with them. I encourage you to at least pick, may I suggest, pick, pick one missionary and, and let them know that you're going to be praying for them for the next year. And that you commit to pray for them weekly at least. And, and say, can you send me specific prayer requests that I can, I can be, be holding up for you? That God wants us. We can't, we're not all called to go. But even for those who are called to go, it's important that there are others who support and be a part of that, that team. Um, does God want you to take another step in that direction, just to be a committed prayer warrior for one of these teams? Or does he want you involved even a little more locally, whether it be with, uh, with Love, Inc. or with... Uh, other, the, 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 the what's it? I'm sorry, the con congregational kitchen. Yes, I know this. It's amazing work that's being done here in, in the back room every week. And I, I dare say that if you ask those in charge, there's probably room for you to be assistance in that program. Or maybe God has something else. I know not too far from here lives one of the largest populations of Muslims in the U.S. What what might He have you do? But some of that, it's not a matter of distance. It's not a matter of distance. Sometimes, though, God wants us to step outside of our world and step into someone else's to help them understand what does Christ have for them. Because, again, even as a young man who went to church all of my young life, I didn't understand the gospel. And I think we're surrounded by people very much like that. I challenge you today to, take, to, to ask God, what is my next step? What is it that I can be committed to in a way that I haven't been? Uh, to partner with what you're doing to reach people who need to hear the gospel, whether that be near or far. He has blessed you. If you've come to trust in Him, if you've put your faith in Christ, if you never have, I encourage you to, to talk to the pastor this morning. Um, Christ has great things for your life. And He does bless us. And He wants us to be protected and comforted and cared for. But he does that also. God has a wonderful way of working for our good and for his glory around the world. And uh, I challenge you to discover what, what part does he have for you. Thank you for the chance to speak this morning. Well, thank you for that message. Um,
Yeah, I, it's, it's a challenge to all of us, isn't it? We have people all around us in this very city that, that have yet to know Christ, and we have the opportunity to go out to them, share this message, share Jesus with them. Um, yeah, sometimes we just we get afraid. We, we hold ourselves back. We don't want to look foolish. Um, I think of you know this, this family here, you know they're, <laughs> they're going all the way across the world uh, to share this message with people. It sounds foolish, doesn't it? It's crazy. But it's what God's called us to do. It's, it's a challenge before all of us. Thank you for your message.